0: In 1996, 28-year veteran forest ranger Randy Morganson left on a routine patrol. Five years later, only parts of him were found along a river. Author Eric Blim, who wrote a book of his disappearance, stated, I don't think it was an accident. After so many years with the bones gnawed, there's no way to say exactly what happened. You're watching Darkness Prevails, the best place to share your creepy stories with the world because this world is a strange one. The outdoors are fierce and untamed, despite what you may have been told or believed. Every year, 750,000 missing person cases are reported. Sometimes those people are never seen again. So what's going on? What are the horrific things forest strangers have seen? The people who dedicate their lives to the outdoors. If you want your story in a video like this one, I'm looking for creepy zoo stories. If you've got one, send it to me at darknessprevails.org slash submit. Now then, step into the woods with me and let's disappear without a trace. Number one, The Thing in the Adirondacks, submitted by Cal H. For the sake of the story, you can call me Cal. I worked as a police officer for the Atlantic City PD of New Jersey for 18 years. When I retired, I pulled some strings from my many years of service on the force and from cooperating with New York police officials to get a job with the Adirondack Park Rangers. I'd always loved the great outdoors, something I missed while working in Casino Central at Atlantic City and what could be more outside the loop than 6.1 million acres of woods, rivers, lakes, and mountains. I was looking forward to it, a quiet bachelor's retirement, preserving the forest and looking after the nature I loved. But as it would turn out, nature also holds a lot of terrible secrets. I arrived at the Adirondack Park in 1995, a year after my retirement to my designated park ranger cabin. We were required to live and work on the reserve. I was driven up from Atlantic City by the guy I was replacing, a fellow we can call Joe. Joe had worked here for over 30 years and in spite of his graying hair, he was still spry and full of life. After a long drive, we pulled into the clearing around the cabin. Joe showed me the well from which we drew water where the power lines were and around the small two-man cabin. As we were sitting on the front stoop, laughing, sharing fishing stories, and chewing on some cigars, Joe suddenly got very quiet. He trained his ice-blue eyes on me and asked, "Uh, Do you believe in God, Cal? My family is Italian and Irish. We're about as Catholic as you could get. My answer was an instant yes. Joe grimaced, grinding the stogie on the wooden railing of the porch. I don't know about God myself, Joe said, staring at the old growth rows of oak that ringed the clearing. The devil I'm more sure of, because I've seen him. He lives in those woods. I thought Joe was being overdramatic, and I chuckled but he gave me a look, a cold, dark, and foreboding look, and my laughter extinguished. "Mm, You'll see what I mean soon enough, he said, disposing of his cigar in the garbage inside the cabin. As he came back out with his fedora, he paused and looked at me. I love these woods, but there are dark things out there you couldn't even begin to imagine. For the first month after Joe left, I could almost convince myself his terrifying words were nothing more than park ranger hazing. He was initiating me to the camp by scaring me. Yeah, that was it. I quickly fell into the rhythm of ranger life, patrolling the woods and clearing paths, participating in biomass surveys with people from Albany. It wasn't all sunshine though. Poachers were rife, and the anti-government militias training illegally in the park aren't friendly at the best of times. But after 18 years on the beat, those punks didn't scare me. What did scare me, to the point of quitting this job, happened late one night. Part of my old life on the beat was being a night owl, and being a park ranger was no exception. It was late one August, and almost 10 p.m., when the ranger station called in. They said a family had been separated from their little girl and they needed all hands on deck to mount a search. I was instantly awake, putting down my dog-eared W.E.B. Griffin book and hauling on my park ranger uniform and donning my cap. I met up with my boss, Captain O'Rourke, and he assigned me to follow a tributary of Grindstone Creek near where the family had last seen their daughter. I led a bunch of civilian volunteers down the creek, armed with flashlights and intermittent firearms. There had been black bear activity in the area, so packing heat made sense. As we fanned out along the creek, I gradually separated from the others, scanning the forest until my flashlight caught something pink, totally at odds with the summer ground cover. I yelled out that I'd found something but then my flashlight panned up, and I wish to this day that I'd never done that. I'd found the girl, but she was in pieces, scattered across the clearing. What my flashlight had caught was her arm, no longer attached, with the stub of a pink T-shirt still there. I had seen horrible gangland violence, but nothing ever topped the brutality of this scene. I gagged, and that was when I heard it. It was a strange, cooing, hooting sound. Something about the sound turned the blood in my veins to ice as I panned my light in the direction of it, and it felt like my soul died in my chest. Standing there, easily seven feet tall, was this thing. That's the only way I can describe it. It was tall but heavily emaciated, about as wide as a lamp pole. I could see its ribs protruding out of its rotting gray flesh. Its feet were hooved, but it had hands like a man, albeit with long, disgusting black talons in place of fingers. Its head, that was what still gives me nightmares. Instead of a normal head, it appeared more as a buck's skull with a massive rack of eight or so points, Its mouth was full of dagger-like teeth, which curved up and outwards the closer to the front of the mouth they got. In its jaws, I saw a piece of the child dangling limply as it fixed me with a nightmarish gaze from demonic yellow eyes. I didn't move, nor did the thing, for a space of about 10 seconds when it cocked its head to the side. It let out another coo hoot and took a step towards me. I screamed, and as fast as I possibly could, made for my revolver, but in the blink of an eye, it was gone, disappearing in the brush. The remainder of the search party found me pretty quickly, considering I had apparently and unknowingly fired my entire revolver cartridge into the now empty woods, and I'd been crying. When I explained what had happened, I lied, mostly to myself, saying that I saw a black bear, but that's definitely not what I remember. Whatever it was, it wasn't natural, not of this world of the living. There and then that day, I quit my job. I left the Adirondacks, and I have never looked back. I pray that what I saw was simply some sort of vision or hallucination, but it was very, very real to that little girl. Number two, something put him up there, submitted by the Devil's Bartender. I'll begin by saying my father runs a bar and grill in a small town in the northeastern US. Our town isn't very big, but most of our revenue comes from tourism since we aren't far from a state park. Fairly often, we'll get forest rangers and police coming in, and as you can imagine, once they're drunk, they have some very interesting stories to tell. As it so happens, my sister got very close to one of these rangers, and they got married, and he is now my brother-in-law. Usually, the rangers and police will come in pretty somber and buy a drink when something horrible happens, like a messy car accident or a missing child case. One day when I was working the bar, my brother-in-law comes in really shaken up. He orders a whiskey and puts a hundred down on the bar. Of course, I ask him if he's okay, and he gives me this look like he just saw someone pass away right in front of his eyes. Then he just asks for the whole bottle. I put a glass down in front of him, then pour his first cup of the whiskey, and I left the bottle for him to have at his pleasing. As the night goes on, a few other rangers come in, and they're all just like Arthur, my brother-in-law. I call over one of them. Hey, what happened out there today? I asked. Missing kid, he pauses. He found him. The man gestures to Arthur, Oh God, that bad? I asked. Worse, he says, then goes to sit down with the others. I look down the bar to Arthur, who at this point has nearly cleaned out the second bottle. Arthur, I'm going to drive you home when you're done, okay? I tell him. He simply nods when usually he'd fight me on this. Arthur, man, what's wrong? I ask him. How... How did he get up there? Arthur mumbles so low I could barely hear him. What do you mean? I ask, to no avail as he suddenly locks up. This really freaked me out, because as a bartender, drunks often want to talk you up the whole night. Even Arthur has done this from time to time. Later on, I end my shift early, handing the bar off to a coworker, and I begin to take Arthur home. In the car, he begins to open up. At first, he talks so fast that between the slurs and the pace, I have a hard time keeping up with them. But to my memory, this is very close to what he said. I got the call. I got called and I went. The boy was gone and his mom had no idea where he was. Then I went out to find him because we couldn't leave him, but why was he there? How was he there? Uh, He couldn't be there, but he was. He was, but how? He was all bloodied and so high. Half of him was gone. I don't know where it is, but it's not there with him. At this point, he was crying, and I made the mistake I wish I hadn't. Where was he, Arthur? Up, up there, he said, looking up as if the kid was on the roof of my car. In the tree, fifty feet up, I found him because the blood had fallen on me. Arthur locked up again, and this time, I was actually glad he did. He kept staring at his hands like there was something there. When we got to his home, I was trying to find the keys to get him inside, when he grabbed me very suddenly and made me yelp. He looked me in the eye, his face serious, and I thought for a second he had somehow completely sobered up. Something put him there, he said, staring into my eyes. what What put him there? I asked. I don't know. I don't want to know, Arthur said. My sister opened the door, having heard us outside, and she helped me get him in and lay him down. She asked me what was wrong with him, I told her that she didn't want to know, to just believe me that he had a very, very bad day. That night, I lay awake thinking about what Arthur had said. To this day, he doesn't talk about it, and that's fine by me, but sometimes I wonder, what could put that kid fifty feet up into a tree? But just like Arthur there's a part of me that desperately doesn't want to know. Number three, Stairs, submitted by Megan W. I have an uncle that used to work as a forest ranger in Michigan. He's gone through nights of tigers loose in a campsite without a working flashlight drunk guys drowning in the rapids, and kids passed away from hypothermia, their bodies found cradled peacefully at the bases of tall pine trees. A lot of strange and creepiness, yes, but he never seemed disturbed when telling these stories. He saw it as just part of the job. He took me and my middle brother on a walk through my grandparents' woods one evening while the adults made dinner. The other two boys were completely occupied with a video game and there had only been two players in the game. So our uncle decided that he would give us other two some special attention, especially to me. As being the only girl, I would get excluded from a lot. We walked for maybe 15 minutes before my uncle stopped dead at the swamp area in the woods, a place we often went to hunt for mushrooms in the summer. But right in the middle of this soggy part of the forest, we saw something extremely odd and even more out of place. Particularly, we hadn't seen it there before. You're not going to believe me when I say this, but there was a staircase in the middle of the swamp. It was as if someone had built a house there and everything but the stairs had been swallowed up by the swamp. At the top of the stairs was a very small landing where a welcome mat or carpet sat, completely clean and untouched from what we could tell. I felt my face twist with confusion and bewilderment, and I looked up at my uncle, but the look on his face struck me like a cold ice pick. My uncle was terrified, shaking like it was the middle of winter. His eyes darted around the tree line, like he was looking for something. Then he grabbed our hands and began to walk twice as fast. I've always been very short and unable to keep up, so I found myself being carried all the way back to the house. When we arrived, we stopped only when we were in direct sight of the house, and he told us not to say anything about it to anyone, especially the boys and to not go out of sight of the house without him with us. We were very confused, but also extremely scared, as it just sounded insane to us, so it was easy for us to keep our mouths shut. Recently, I went back home to visit, and I convinced my brother to come with me to see the staircase, though it took a lot to convince him to come along. At first, he refused to go without a weapon and our 200-pound mastiff, When we got there, back to the same spot from before, there was nothing, just a clearing, no bits of metal, no carpet, just an empty clearing and a nice big patch of mushrooms. Those mushrooms might have been in our dinner if our mastiff hadn't growled the moment we stepped towards them. Maybe it was just a deer, but we left quickly and we've never been back since or told anyone what we saw. Number four, Haunted Forest, submitted by Matthew2829. I lived in the Philippines. It's a beautiful country, but in my case, I lived in the northern part of the Philippines, known as the Mountain Province. And though it was quite serene out there, as a child, I always felt like something was wrong in the forests near my house. The year was 1979, and there weren't many houses in our rural town. Only my relatives lived there really during the time. Back then, I was nine years old, and I loved playing around with my cousin Brandon, who was 19 and worked part-time as a voluntary forest ranger. We often went to the forest near my house to play. In spite of our age differences, we still enjoyed hiking outdoors. At one point, we were next to a steep cliff and I slipped, nearly falling off. Brandon caught me and helped me regain my balance, but that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was the fact that the cliff even existed. We had been all throughout these forests before, and never once have we seen or stumbled upon this cliff. What I mean is, yesterday, this cliff hadn't been there. We weren't even half a mile from the house. I tried to explain it to myself, and I just chalked it up to a landslide or something. As I dusted myself off and we began to walk again, we began to hear movements around us. "'Who's there?' my cousin asked, and I felt chills coming out of my spine and my hair standing on end. "'Anino, or shadow,' my cousin whispered. "'Do you see it?' I didn't reply. "'There, there are many of them,' I said, finally.' Seeing it for myself. We turned back and ran as fast as we could. I remember shouting so loud, my mom came out rushing towards me. She saw me and got angry and said, Why do you go out there alone like that? It's dangerous. I froze right then and there. What do you mean? Brandon's right here with me. She got down on her knees and scraped some dirt off of my face. Look, you got hurt. Mom, stop, I said. What did you mean? Brandon was just right here. I looked around me, and I noticed that Brandon wasn't there anymore. When I turned back to my mother, she had a very concerned and sad look on her face. With hesitation in her voice, she had to remind me, Honey, remember, Brandon passed away just yesterday. I was in complete shock. Turns out way back then, I did that quite a lot, because when Brandon was gone, it hurt me bad. It took me years to get over it, but that day I remember vividly seeing him, seeing the shadows nearly falling down a cliff. Was it all just a dream? Again, Brandon was a voluntary forest ranger in his time, and he had helped a lot of people in the woods. And before he passed, he had taken care of me a lot. Every time he had gone to our house, he would tell me stories about his adventures in the woods, about the shadows he'd see, the whispers he heard, and even the time he saw the Tikbalong, a half horse, half human creature. I always thought those stories were only just stories. Anyway, that was what inspired me when I was 18 to serve as a voluntary ranger myself. I'm beginning to understand how it was for him, the nighttime whispering you could hear all around the woods, the strange movements you'd see out of the corner of your eyes. We used to have to work with partners. My partner, Andy, heard them too, the whispering. He was also very afraid to go out after dark and would try to get out of his duties at nighttime as much as possible. On one occasion when Andy and I talked about our girlfriends just hanging out at the ranger station on a quiet night, we suddenly heard a terrible scream. Now we would have gotten up and ran to the rescue as fast as possible. The thing is, it didn't sound like a man or a woman. It sounded like something else. Just the sound of it hurt our ears as if whatever it was was standing right next to us. When it stopped, Andy asked me, "'What in the world was that?' I didn't reply right away, because I didn't know myself. Instead, after a few moments, I recommended that we shut and lock all the doors and windows. I still live here with my lovely wife, who's half Japanese, and our daughter, as well as a one-month-old baby boy. And despite being very creeped out by the forests around us, I'm more determined than ever." to protect my family and our neighbors from the things in the woods. And number five, there's a reason they call it Devil's Den, submitted by S. Stevenson. In the early 2000s, when I had just graduated high school, I was looking for any and every way to get into the forest service I wanted to work my way up to being a game warden, but that dream quickly subsided. Because when I was taken in as a park ranger around Devil's Den in Arkansas, I was smitten. The job never felt like a job, and it was very satisfying. Rarely did we have emergency calls, but when we did, finding that lost person or helping the injured get help It left you with a feeling like you could actually have an impact on the world. All while preserving nature, of course. There was one emergency call, though, that was a game-changer for me. I don't think I've ever been the same because of it. The year was 2005. It was early December and quite a cold year for Arkansas. We received a call that night that a child had gone missing. My first thought was who would go hiking during this weather and why on earth would they bring their child? But wait, it gets better. It wasn't even a kid, it was a baby, a little over a year old in fact, and they hadn't been hiking. The couple lived just a ways from the park. They called in stating that their baby was gone after hearing sounds around their house. The window to the baby's room had been opened and they heard footsteps heading in the direction of the park. Red flags were going up everywhere while I listened in on the details of the situation. Nonetheless, I grabbed my gear and I set off to search my side of these forests and hills. Three long, drawn-out hours later, and I was exhausted. I hadn't rested, drank much water, or eaten since I was back at the headquarters. The excitement and rush of quickly going to the rescue was fading, and I was ready to just sit down for a few moments. But that's when I heard the crying. Immediately, I ran toward it, straight uphill. The trees began to thin, and soon the tree line broke completely, as I stumbled upon a clearing with a large flat top rock in it. It was just one of many random boulders in the forests. I began to work my way past it when I heard the crying again. It was louder, and now I knew that it was coming from on top of the rock. Now, the boulder was easily 15 feet high, so despite my confusion, I grabbed onto any protrusion or opening I could find, and I climbed. It took me about 90 seconds to ascend the rock. Winded, I pulled myself up onto the flat top, and I saw the baby. He was wrapped and swaddled in light blue, crying. But oddly enough, there wasn't a scratch or speck of dirt on him, or the cloth for that matter. How in the world did he get up here in such a state? I was a fully grown man and it took every ounce of energy I had to climb the rock and there was no way I could do this while holding a baby. If multiple people had taken him and laid him up here, then the better question is why? Who on this planet takes a baby in the night, runs a few hours into the woods, lays the baby on a rock while making sure he's perfectly clean, then leaves without a trace? I was astonished and a bit creeped out, but I called for backup as I couldn't get the child off the rock by myself. When the parents got their child, they were greatly relieved, but then they were quickly weirded out because they said that they hadn't swaddled the baby when they put him to bed and that they didn't even own the blanket we found him in. This was easily the weirdest experience I had as a forest ranger and the weirdest experience in my life, period. The Forest Service does an invaluable job. They preserve nature and animals, while simultaneously keeping us safe from it. These amazing people, who spend almost all their time in the woods while they work for the Forest Service, should be commended for two reasons. One, their bravery, of course. And two the sheer guts it must take to keep going and doing your job after seeing some very horrifying and unexplainable things. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. And don't forget to send us your creepy true stories from zoos at darknessprevails.org. If you want to support this channel further, you could always download my free app Spooked on the Android store. Donate $1 a month at Patreon at patreon.com darknessprevails or buy some awesome creepy merch at morbidmonsters.com. As always, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous video, which was about five creepy Facebook encounters. GlitterDragon says, Oh my gosh, I've never clicked so fast. I get a lot of these types of comments and I wonder what is the world record for clicking speed? Limbo the Lost says, Yay, more horror. You go, boss. This is the kind and awesome lady who sent me candy earlier and who drew my profile picture. Michelle Silva says, I have waited for this moment all my life and now I don't know what to say. Well, hello from Ecuador. Oh, I know what to say. That's one sexy dolphin. Hmm. Jose Solas says, When isn't Facebook scary? Well, when you haven't clicked log in in years, of course. And GCK Mimi says, stalked and tormented by a sociopath on Facebook. Cost me two jobs and a good portion of what little I had. Dang that woman. Good lord, I think saying dang that woman is quite an understatement. I hope things go better for you, my friend. Anyway, thank you all for tuning back in and supporting my channel with a view or a like. I appreciate it. Here are the credits for my patrons who continue to donate. Thank you to all of you. Until next time, stay safe out there and stay creepy. Life's better with American Family Insurance. Because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com.